Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. This morning, we're coming to the end of our series called Our Social Dilemma, Likes and Loves and Living Virtually. And uh, as we've been going through each week, we've been seeing the effects of persuasive technology and comparing the things that social media says about us uh, versus what is true about us in Christ. And uh, as, as we've gone along, we've, we've heard three messages. The first was about just how pervasive this technology is, how pervasive the problem is, and that was called deceptively powerful. The second week, we talked about the business model and showed how it, it commodifies human life. And that was called Dishonorably Profitable. The third week we got together last week, we talked about how this technology amplifies and and rewards bad behavior. And and, and that was called Deliberately Awful. Well, this morning we're talking about kids and parenting and technology and and it's called Dangerously Parental. We're We're going to focus this morning on the effect of too much technology in the hands of children and youth. Well, somebody who's had a lot of helpful things to say on this subject and wrote a book on it called The TechWise Family. His name's Andy Crouch. He wrote that we are made to live and learn in a physical world. And no human beings are more exuberantly and fundamentally rooted in the body than children. As children, our bodies are full of energy and primed for physical learning. We are designed to explore our world and learn through all our senses. So it could be that the proliferation of technology, especially screens at earlier and earlier ages, may well be remembered as one of the most damaging epidemics of the 20th century. Do you hear that? It may be that the proliferation of technology, especially screens at earlier and earlier ages, may well be remembered as one of the most damaging epidemics of the 21st century. Well, uh, this morning we're talking about kids and parenting, and anytime we do, I think it's really important that we be very clear. Like, if I'm not careful, it might sound like no matter what we do, any amount of technology is harmful to children. Now, just to be clear, I don't believe that. I don't practice that. That is not the warning that we need today. Instead, I think that as parents, whether we're parents of our own children, or we are godparents, or grandparents, or uncles and aunts, or neighbors, just by virtue of us being the church and the relationships we have with one another's families, our goal for one another is to figure out what it looks like to get technology into its proper place and keep it there. Okay, Even if we're not removing technology altogether, which I'm certainly not going to advocate for, but our goal is to get technology in its proper place and keep it there. In fact, I've got a a thesis or a big idea today that I'm going to be defending. The big idea is that when a lot of kids learn to expect a lot of access to a lot of technology, that is not something to celebrate. That is something to avoid at all costs. Right? When a lot of kids get a lot of access to a lot of technology, that is something to avoid at all costs. Now, why do I say that? I'm going to offer four reasons why that's true. The first one has to do with what Jesus said in the passage we just heard read, where he warns us about what a child is worth. Now, I'm not going to review the whole passage, but we do need to understand the context a little bit, 
the at the beginning of it, the disciples have some questions for Jesus. They want to know, Jesus, who is the greatest? Like, who is going to be on top in the kingdom? Who's got the best seats in the kingdom? And Jesus, his answer is to bring them a child and show them and, and say, like, you're going to, I want you to be like this. You want to come into my kingdom? Be like this. And it's really interesting that Jesus does that. Because, you know, in the ancient world, in a lot of places, a child was seen as like half of a human being. In fact, in many parts of the ancient world, a newborn girl would be discarded and left for the, for the wolves. Like, not a lot of people are paying attention to kids in this culture. And here's Jesus saying, this is greatness. This is the example that I want you to follow. And there's some things I think we need to observe from what he says to them about kids. First of all, we need to observe that God really cares about kids. Like God really cares about kids. This whole section is an extended treatment of how God feels about kids. And we know that because at the end of it, in verse 10, Jesus says something again about these little ones. And he says that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, you hear that and you go like, wow, does that mean that kids have a, have a guardian angel after all? And my answer is, I, I don't know. I, I can't prove it's true. I can't prove it's not true. But certainly seems to offer some support to the, the idea. Because way back in the Old Testament, where you've got scenes of God's throne room, and you've got angels that are flying around, what they don't do is have unrestricted access to God. What they do is they cover their eyes with their wings because they can't look directly on God's face. But Jesus says, these little ones, they're angels. They don't cover their faces. They always see God's face. That's how God feels about kids. He really cares about kids. Another thing for us to observe in this passage is that kids are the example of faith. Right? Kids are the example of faith. These these kids that Jesus is hanging out with, they're not with Jesus because they they gain something from him. You know, they don't gain points in status and popularity from Jesus. They they don't make demands of Jesus. What all that they know is that they like being with him. They just know that he's a kind, loving man and they really enjoy being in his company. And that's why Jesus is with them. It's very natural for him to be with people who relate to him in that way. That's why he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Like it's natural for him to be with people who have that kind of childlike faith. Imitate that because that's the kind of person Jesus is with. They're an example of faith. Another thing for us to observe in the passage here is that those who harm children will be judged severely. They'll be judged severely. Jesus warns us about causing a child to stumble. Now, causing someone to stumble, that's not language that we use commonly. It's a a Greek word, uh, skandalize, which translates to, um, I mean, it sounds like scandalize, right? But in, you know, what it translates to is to offend someone, to actually cause a person to sin, or to cause a person to abandon faith in God. In other words, 
when you cause a child to stumble, you are harming a child. You're, you're corrupting a child. And Jesus says, if you do that, the consequence for you is worse than being thrown into the middle of the sea with a large stone around your neck. That's how serious the consequence is. Like his whole point here is there is a special kind of judgment in store. There's a very serious kind of wrath and punishment in store for people who harm children. All right. And the last thing I just want to observe about this passage is it it actually doesn't matter why. Like there's really no excuse for it. You know, here Jesus is warning us about children. He's, this is a warning that is meant to protect children. And then he sort of switches focus. And now within this larger warning about children, now he's warning us about letting our bodies scandalize us into scandalizing children. So what does that look like? Well, like maybe it's someone who thinks that they need to discipline a kid by beating them constantly with their hands. Or maybe they're going to withhold something that the kid needs with their hands. So maybe, maybe that's the excuse. Or maybe it's somebody who is, is troubled and they feel like they can't help themselves. It's not their fault. And their eyes stare lustfully at children. Or maybe with their eyes, they, they watch children walk into dangerous situations and they refuse to help them because, well, it's not my kid. It's not my responsibility. Like maybe that's their excuse. Maybe with their feet, the situation is that the, their kids are so like badly behaved that this person gets frustrated and they use their feet to kick their kids all the time. Or maybe they finally lose it and with their feet they walk out on their family. And it could be any one of these. It actually doesn't matter because Jesus is saying there is really no excuse. He's saying it is better to cut off that foot cut off that hand, gouge out that eye, then to keep it, harm the child, and end up in hell. Like, take everything that you might gain by harming a child, take everything that you might be afraid to lose if you don't harm a child, take all of that stuff, put it side by side with a child's welfare, and in God's eyes, there is no contest. Like, it is better to lose all of that stuff than to keep it, harm that kid, corrupt that kid, and end up in hell. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, it is super interesting to me that some of Jesus' highest praise is reserved for children. You know, like some of his highest compliments are reserved for children. And some of Jesus' most serious warnings in all of Scripture are reserved for those who harm and corrupt kids. Isn't that interesting? And the reason is because kids matter to God. That's what a child is worth. I I couldn't resist including a quote from Rachel Denhollander. She herself is an abuse survivor. Now she's a champion for children. And she wrote uh, a children's book called What is a Little Girl Worth? In it, uh, Rachel Denhollander says, No one has power to change what God's done. And he says you're worth everything, even his son. Worth all the pain, worth great sacrifice, worth leaving heaven, worth giving his life. That's what a child is worth. Well, a second reason uh, I think kids and youth shouldn't have unrestricted access to too much technology is because of the risks facing kids. 
And there are several we should be aware of. What I'm about to share is certainly not an exhaustive list, but just, just a handful. And just as we have in, in previous weeks, it is important that we kind of drill down and share some examples. So one example of the risks is, is the example of developmental delays. Developmental delays. Now, most parents know what it's like when, you know, you're at the end of your day, you've just gotten home from work, the kids are losing it, they're getting impatient, so maybe you turn on a show or two. Or maybe in your family, you hand them the iPad and you say, go nuts, do your thing, and they're gone for the next hour or two. And, and, and it's like, what if that happens every day? Well, studies have been shown, or studies have been done that show that preschoolers who use screens for more than one hour a day can face delays in language and literacy. Many of them are going to miss important developmental milestones like the ability to read body language, the ability to read facial expressions, and impulse control, and the ability to connect a cause and an effect. In other words, the risk is that that kid's ability to sit quiet for hours, as convenient as it is, it actually might be coming at quite a high cost. Well, there's another risk we need to talk about that has to do with body image. Okay, body image. In, in 2016, there was another study done that investigated the effects of Instagram on body image among adolescent girls. And uh, I'll just share a couple of the more troubling results. One was that most kids didn't know when an image had been manipulated. Isn't that interesting? Like they couldn't tell the difference between two photos side by side where one had been edited and the other was the original. In fact, I've put one of those up there. One of these is the original. The other one has been edited. How many of you can think you can tell which one was edited? Can you spot the difference between these two? Yeah? Good. Good, because most people in the study could not. In fact, Instagram's own research showed, and I quote, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. That's Instagram talking. We make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. And so the risk here is that constant comparison between kids makes them feel ashamed and embarrassed about their bodies. And that's not okay. Right? That's not okay. Well, there's another risk associated with too much technology. It's the risk of early sexualization. Early sexualization. Some of the studies that have been done around persuasive technology show that one in every four children has been approached online for a sexual encounter. One in four kids has been approached for a sexual encounter. One in three girls who are teenagers, one in three teen girls have been asked for nudes online. One in three. And almost half of teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17, listen to this, half of teens between 13 and 17 believe that it's normal and okay to exchange nude photos. Half of teens in that age group believe that it is normal and fine to share and exchange nude photos. And as a, a Christian, as a parent, I would never allow that. I would never allow that. But this technology doesn't care. It has different values. It has different aims and different priorities. And all of a sudden, what we think, what we thought was unthinkable, now it's normal. 
right? Now it's no big deal. Well, that's the risk that we're taking with our kids. Another risk is the risk of mental illness. Mental illness. Well, we now know that children and youth who spend more than three hours online a day, they are twice as likely to have poor mental health. And and those studies have shown that overuse of social media and technology is linked to anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, attention deficit disorders, and especially linked to depression. In fact, for every added hour spent using social media, studies show that teens have a 2% increase in depressive symptoms. For every extra hour uh, using social media, teens show 2% more depressive symptoms. So the risk here is that overuse of social media is changing how children and youth feel about themselves and think about themselves. It's literally making many of them sick. Literally. Another risk is violent content. Violent content. You you remember a couple of years ago, a big controversy was around Momo. I'm not going to show a picture of Momo here, but... Momo was supposedly hiding in kids' videos and telling them to kill themselves. It ended up, it turned out to be a hoax. But just because Momo turned out to be a hoax doesn't mean that everything is a hoax. Like, just so we know, some YouTube content isn't even man-made. Like, the AI has become really good at predicting what kids will binge-watch, and there are entire YouTube channels of cartoons that are not made by people. They're made by an algorithm. Okay, but but worse than that, worse than cartoons that are not made by people, it's it's the the problem that the that some of these cartoon channels are actually really easy to hack. Their content is really easy to hack and to change, and and there's it turns out that there's actually a good amount of violent and sexual uh, content that's made its way into some of these cartoons. Now it's not hard to to do a search and and find which ones uh, I'm talking about, but. The risk here is that if we just expect YouTube to babysit our kids for hours for us, those kids might end up seeing stuff that is worse than what's in some R-rated movies. Okay? So there's the risk of violent content. Then the last risk I think we need to be aware of is the risk of, of just readiness. The risk that they're just not ready. Because we know that children and youth just developmentally they don't have the ability to self-regulate the way that adults do. So if you're an adult who's experiencing the fear of missing out, and you can't, you know, you can't pry yourself away from your phone, imagine what it's like to be 13 years old, and you've never known a time when your life wasn't online and your friends' lives weren't online. Like, children and youth, they face all the same dangers that we've been talking about these last four weeks, And the difference is that they're just not developmentally ready to withstand it. Because that part of their brain that helps them to decide what's healthy and what's unhealthy and what the limits are, that part of the brain won't finish developing until they're like 21 years old. Like this isn't even fair. It's totally unfair. If we expect kids to figure out how to put technology in its place all on their own, we are asking Way too much. Way too much. 
And you know, it seems to me we could go on and on with example after example. We haven't even talked about the risk of cyberbullying and the risk of targeted advertising. But what I hope we see is that the risks in giving our kids too much technology too soon are just too great. The risks are just too great. It's not worth it. Well, there's a third reason for protecting our kids from too much technology. It's because it really is that serious. It really is that serious. Now, there might be people who, I, and I get it, they aren't persuaded. And they might ask, you know, like, is this really a new problem? Like, like didn't past generations have the risk of addiction just as well, but with different toys, like with dolls and, say, video games? And I would say, sure, like the, the risk of addiction has always been there. But you relate to dolls and video games differently than we relate to persuasive technologies, don't we? Like, when, when you play with Barbie, she does what you tell her to do. You control the story, right? And if you play Super Mario Brothers 3, it's the same game every time. It's the same story every time you play it. But you know what doesn't happen when you play with those? When you play with Barbie... Barbie doesn't coach you in how to be sexier and how to, how to find a boyfriend so that you won't be alone. And when you're done playing with Barbie and you put her down in the, in the toy box, Barbie doesn't go and tell all of her friends what you guys did together. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're done playing Super Mario Brothers 3, Mario doesn't go searching for ways online to make the game more interesting for you next time. Like he's not asking you personal questions and reshaping the game to make it better suited for your personality. And so persuasive technology is actually, like it's actually something quite different than we've ever seen. You know? Like it exerts a ton of effort to hold the attention of our children and youth. And then once it has them, we just talked about six very serious risks that face children because of this technology. And you know, I would even be content to say that like in isolation most families could probably navigate one of these risks at a time but the thing is we're never confronted by one of these risks at a time there is a cumulative effect of this technology on kids and on families that we need to take seriously like we know we've seen that this technology it's getting it as it gets into our kids hands it is changing them. It is slowing their development. We've seen that they're being exposed to stuff that, that we know is dangerous and inappropriate and that they're not ready for. We know that this technology can't protect kids and it actually doesn't want to. In fact, it's going to leave a bunch of kids with mental illness and with body images and with FOMO. And we know that... This technology is giving kids a whole different set of values. It's reprogramming them with a whole different set of attitudes that no Christian parent that I know of is okay with. And when we're talking about anything with this much influence on our children and youth, we are no longer talking about some harmless toy or distraction anymore, okay? We, if we love our kids, if we believe what Jesus said, we can't possibly just say, ah, here you go. Here you go. Take it away. You got it. We cannot possibly just let them figure out for themselves how to live with technology. If we, if we do that, we are going to lose our voice as parents. 
We will lose our voice as parents. Even worse, we will lose our children. We will lose our children. It's like, it's like saying, here, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, take my kids. You do the parenting from here on. I trust you. I trust you, Facebook. I trust you, TikTok. I trust you, Snapchat. You got it from here. Friends, that's how serious this is. This technology is dangerously parental. It's dangerously parental. Think of it this way. In case you're not persuaded yet. Think of it this way. Suppose one day a stranger knocks on your door. Seems nice. Says he's here to help. Even though you've never met, he seems to know a whole bunch of stuff about you and your family. He's got some gifts and he's got some activities and some plans for you and the family. If that happened, I bet you'd have some questions. And you would probably assess the risk and the reward and you might decide to keep him out. You might even decide to begin some kind of a relationship with this person, but you would do that on your terms. Like as the parent, you would make the decision. You know what you wouldn't do? You wouldn't swing the door open and say, come on in, move in with us for a while. Why don't you set up your uh, sleeping bag in the kid's bedroom? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't let, the, let him tell the kids that, uh, you know, it's a good idea for us all to eat at McDonald's every night so that they'd come and pester us to eat at McDonald's every night. You wouldn't let him lead the family devotions. You wouldn't let him choose the family's church. You would actually ask that guy, if he did those things, you'd ask him to leave. Even if he begs you to stay, you would ask him to leave. Even if the kids beg you to let him stay, you would ask him to leave. Even if the kids are like, no, mom and dad, I'm ready. I can handle it. Because as parents, you know you're entrusted with the care of those kids. You would ask him to leave. And if he doesn't leave, you would do whatever it takes to get away from him. Wouldn't you? You would, some of us, you would fight him. You, you would break a window, wouldn't you? You'd, you would burn down the house sooner than let this guy harm your children, wouldn't you? You might even cut off your hand or foot or gouge out an eye rather than allow your children to be harmed and corrupted by this guy. Well, like not to be alarmist, friends, but if this isn't the sort of thing Jesus warned about, I don't know what is. If this isn't the sort of thing Jesus warned us about, I just, I just don't know what is. It really is that serious. Well, the fourth and final reason for protecting our kids from too much technology is because they're better off without it. Like, they, and we are, are really better off without it. You know, I really encourage us to take a heart check here. To check our motivations. You might even do that today. And just find a t- some time to get before God and ask Him to search your heart and help you to understand your motivations for either having no objection to giving kids unrestricted access to technology or withholding technology from your family altogether. That's between you and him. I don't pretend to know your reasons, but I do encourage a heart check. And you know, here's what I would want to ask in order to begin to get technology in its proper place, you know what I'd want to ask us? I would want to ask us, first of all, how important is it going to be as our families go on? How important is it going to be to have a peaceful, quiet house, really? 
Because, like, you know, suppose you got busy kids. Like, I know what that's like. And you may have to choose between having active, impulsive, noisy kids versus kids who are perfectly quiet and play on the iPad and never interrupt you. And they don't know what to do with a pack of crayons or like a wig or a ball or a skipping rope. And you know what? I would just encourage you to like let kids be kids and choose the noise. And and I think I'd ask too, like, how important as our families go on, how important is it going to be for us to have a neat and tidy home? How important is that? Because, you know, suppose you've got kids that are messy. Like, you know, those days where it's like you just cleaned up and less than five minutes later, it looks like you've, you, you haven't done anything. We might have to choose between a home that's messy and there's stuff everywhere and toys all over the floor. We might have to choose between that on the one hand and a home on the other hand where nothing's ever out of place because all of the play and all of the activity happens on a screen, on a device up in somebody's bedroom. And I'm just saying, like, let's let kids be kids and choose the mess. Choose the mess. And, you know, as, as time goes on, as the kids get bigger, you're going to have to also make some decisions. And I would just ask, like, how important is it going to be to avoid conflict between ourselves and our kids? How important is it that we avoid a conflict? Because eventually we're going to end up with teenagers. And teenagers test the limits. They're trying to figure out where they fit in the world. And so they are constantly testing and pushing. And so one of the things that they're pushing is they're pushing us. And so we may have to choose between the daily like struggle and debate and negotiation of greater and greater privileges and greater and greater expectations and more accountability so that our children become more grounded, more confident, interesting, godly people. Or on the other hand, we can skip all of that. We can skip all the conflict and skip all the debate and just let the technology parent them. It's certainly way easier. It's certainly less conflict. And you know what I'm saying? Is like just in light of everything we've seen, choose the conflict. In light of everything that we've seen, take anything that we gain by letting this technology parent our kids and put that up against the welfare of our kids. And you know what Jesus says? He says there's no contest. Like it's not even close. Like, it's better to have none of those things and to let kids be kids and they thrive in this world and the next. And so no matter what the persuasive technology companies want us to believe, our children, our youth, they're not theirs. They are not targets. They're not consumers. They're not corruptible. They're not for sale. No, in Christ, every child is precious and loved and important and unique Every child in Christ is worth giving up everything else in the world to protect. Now, I opened with a quote from Andy Crouch. It seems only appropriate that I close with one. This is a just this is from his his book in where he answers the question of what does it look like to have technology in the proper place. Here's what he says. He says technology is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we have been given to love. It's out of its proper place when we end up bonding with people at a distance like celebrities whom we will never meet. Technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversations 
it's out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us take care of the fragile bodies we inhabit. It's out of its proper place when it promises to help us escape the limits and vulnerabilities of those bodies altogether. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us acquire skill and mastery of domains that are the glory of human culture. When we let technology replace the development of skill with passive consumption, something has gone wrong. He says, technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world we are part of and responsible for stewarding. It is out of its proper place when it keeps us from engaging the wild and wonderful natural world with all our senses. Last one he says is, technology is in its proper place only when we use it with intention and care. If there is one thing I've discovered about technology, it's that it doesn't stay in its proper place on its own. Much like my children's toys and stuffed creatures and minor treasures, it finds its way underfoot all over the house and all over our lives. If we aren't intentional and careful, we will end up with quite an extraordinary mess. Amen. I'm going to share our take-at-home questions with us for this week, and I'll pray and we'll be finished. First question I encourage us to take home is, what do you think is behind our culture's desire to give children either too much technology or, or not enough technology? What's behind that? Number two, do you find it hard to believe that you have what it takes to raise children well? Do you believe that you have what it takes? What would, it, what would help you to believe it? And number three, number three is, what's the best compliment you could give a child? What's the best compliment you could give a child? And then how could you help the kids around you to develop in that direction? Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.